Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Monday, May 13, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Orlando is here with me, and big news on Monday morning. John Beeline has left Michigan after 12 years. He's now the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I wish him luck with that. At Michigan, he won two Big Ten regular season titles, two Big Ten tournament titles, made the championship game of the 2013 and 2018 NCAA tournament. He was the 2018 CBS Sports National Coach of the Year. Just a tremendous man, tremendous coach, and now he's off to the NBA. Your thoughts, Matt Norlander? I was stunned. I did not see this coming at all. Um, I know you wrote a column, which our listeners can uh, check out at CBSSports.com on the CBS Sports app, about why this shouldn't necessarily be surprising uh i've got some rebukes as to why it is but Parrish, why why to you is this not such a surprising deal okay so when i say it's not surprising i don't mean the timing wasn't surprising for instance if you would have asked me last night while i was watching game of thrones hey do you think anything crazy is going to happen tomorrow morning i'd be like uh nothing crazier than this dragon flying around killing everybody That's right. probably not um i didn't think john beeline was going to accept the cleveland cavaliers job on monday morning let's be honest this is one of those rare instances where the guy who actually got the job was it was not reported he was ever a candidate for the job like go read uh adrian wojnarowski or anybody else connected to the nba or anybody in college basketball there was never a tweet a report anything that said john beeline is a candidate for the cleveland cavaliers and then boom woge uh tweets this morning john beeline has accepted an offer to be the Cleveland Cavaliers coach. So when I say it's not surprising, I mean I don't mean the timing of it. Um, that was surprising. I was not expecting it. Uh, what I mean is John Beeline taking an NBA job is not surprising to me because I know that he's been interested in this uh, for a while now um, for a variety of reasons. A, I think it's just, um, you know, he's a basketball coach. As I wrote in the column, he's one of the few guys working today and maybe the list is longer than I suggested, but either way, the point will, uh, I think, be clear. You know, he didn't get into this to get rich or famous. He started out as a high school coach. He really just wanted to instruct young people. And then he became a junior college coach. And I think people understand his his um, his uh, path to becoming Michigan's coach. He's never been an assistant coach at any level. He didn't get into this business to be a player hustler. He's just a basketball coach who happened to become rich and famous because he was so good at the job, but he didn't get into it um, to become either of those things. Well, where are you more capable of simply coaching basketball and not worrying about the other stuff? What's the NBA as opposed to uh, college basketball. I've told this story before, but I, I think it, it works here. I was at a coaching clinic uh, many years ago out in California, and Bill Self was speaking at it. I was also speaking at it. So, um, and between sessions, Bill and I were standing like out in the lobby of a hotel or a hallway somewhere, and we were just talking about whatever. And some young uh, guy is sort of hovering around us. It's very clear he's trying to be polite and wait for a moment where he can step in and and um and say something to bill self i didn't assume he was waiting to talk to me and at some point i was like hey man what's up i looked at him and he said uh, oh you know nothing i don't want to interrupt but uh, coach self if you ever have a minute today i'd love to just pick your brain for a second and bill said sure i got a minute right now what's up and the guy said well i just wanted to ask you for any advice you know i want to be a college coach and i i just wanted wondered if you had any advice for somebody young like me and Bill said, well, let me ask you this first. Why do you want to be a college basketball coach? And the guy said, well, it's because I just love coaching basketball. And, man, it's just be my dream to coach college basketball because I love coaching basketball. And Bill, with a straight face, said, well, then you don't want to be a college basketball coach. He said, being a college basketball coach ain't really about coaching basketball. It's about 10% of your time is coaching basketball. The rest of it is dealing with um, – uh, uh, grassroots coaches, high school coaches, texting and talking with 17-year-olds, recruiting, uh, going to booster uh, events, um, networking with boosters, networking with grassroots people all over the country, um, worrying about uh, APRs, 
worrying if somebody went to class, praying that somebody didn't get a sexual assault charge. Very little of your time is going to be spent actually coaching basketball. If you want to be a basketball coach, that's what you really love, you should be a high school coach or an NBA coach. And I say all that to say this. I know John Beeline didn't have much affection for a lot of the stuff that goes along with being a big-time Division One men's basketball coach. He did it because it was necessary, but if there was ever an opportunity for him to not do it, to just focus on coaching basketball, um, I figured he would jump at that opportunity. He um, you know, interviewed for two jobs last se- offseason, didn't get either one of them, and it was sort of portrayed like he turned down the Pistons because he pulled out of the Detroit coaching search, but my understanding was always he pulled out of that because it just didn't look like he was going to get the job, and he was smart enough to do that and uh, to know that, and when you get in that position, um, it's smart to just pull out of the coaching search and not save face because there's nothing to save face about, but I don't know, it just plays a different way, and so... Now he's offered the Cavs job, and there was some stuff written earlier today about reasons he finds it attractive, and it may or may not be true, but I think mostly he just finds it attractive because he's 66 years old, and how many of these opportunities are you going to get if you ever want to actually do it? You might just have to jump on this now, and it comes at the same time where he's losing his top three scores early to the NBA draft. You know, uh, maybe it's time to just jump. And so when I say it's not surprising, that's what I mean. I know he's wanted to do this has preferred an NBA life to a college life. And now that he's got the opportunity, um, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't shocked at all that he accepted it. I was, uh, I was shocked. Um, and by the way, uh, the John Beeline has never been an assistant coach line is about reaching the level of Ryan Fitzpatrick played football at Harvard, but it is in fact not correct. He was an assistant coach for Bob McKillop at the 2013 World University Games. It's the only time, but in, obviously in a full-time capacity, uh, he has never been an assistant coach. It is remarkable that he built himself up from JV high school basketball coach in the 1970s to now what he's got here. Um, the reason I was surprised that it came to this was I thought last year was the strong flirtation period and that it wouldn't come again. Um, walked away, didn't get the opportunities, got a, a better deal. He had more success last season, Parrish, with Michigan uh, than I think anyone expected. Uh, at 66 years old, I think the age uh, can't be undersold here. Not that he shouldn't be able to get the opportunity. Of course he should. Uh, but this is a this is a, something of a weird hire. Also, no coach in the history of college basketball has ever coached in the NBA with as many wins as John Beeline. He is an unprecedented hire. Look at the career-winning uh, percentage and win totals of every coach in men's Division One college basketball. No one with more than Beeline has ever coached in the NBA. Uh, for him to get this far and get the opportunity, I thought it was shocking. Uh, but I do think that... The fact that he was losing guys to the NBA clearly must have set in some level of frustration that that he had the opportunity. It sounds like from afar, this thing kind of came together pretty quickly. And to that, I would you know I would guess, but try and be specific and say, uh, my guess is Beeline probably got a phone call Friday. And by Sunday, this wrapped up, and then he told uh, the people that needed to know at Michigan on Monday, and then words then uh, leaks out there. It's it's fascinating because I think. Um, I think it's something for Beeline, like, hey, knock yourself out. Go have a great time. I hope you have success. This is a, a wonderful opportunity. And you can say you have coached at, at essentially almost every single level of basketball, including the USA Basketball Experience uh, and everything else. This is really, really cool. I mean, there are not many uh, people that are going to be able to say what John Beeline can say at the end of the day. But I also think uh, – there's a high percentage that this is not going to go well. And there's a high percentage that this is going to be the only spot of John Beeline's career where he is a sub-500 coach. And not not even that, but I took a quick scan of his resume before we started uh, podcasting, GP. He almost never had sub-500 seasons to begin with. And, in fact, Michigan was the only place he ever coached at where he had uh, multiple sub-500 seasons. And that was two in the first three years, and that was after coming off a fascinating period with Michigan where it was completely irrelevant and totally spinning its tires. And we can get back to that before we move on to other stuff later in this podcast. But for Beeline, um, he inherits a situation that is not going to be easy. Now, it's totally fascinating. We're doing this podcast Monday. Within a, almost 24 hours of us doing this podcast, we're going to know the order of the NBA draft lottery. And if Beeline, <laughs> if the Cavs get the number one pick again, uh, which they've got, you know, a, a relatively decent chance, uh, that, you know, they're right there in the top three in terms of most likely to get the number one, but they could easily get the number six pick. But if they get the number one pick and John Beeline uh, took this job and then within, you know, 48 hours essentially of making it official, he knows that 
that he's getting Zion Williamson. That will be incredible. But if he winds up getting the fourth pick or the fifth pick, then obviously it's going to be a little more difficult. And absent that, or even getting a say a Zion Williamson, we don't know what he'll be at the NBA level. There's a real chance that Beeline could take this job, be just okay for four or five years, never have the Cleveland Cavaliers better than seventh or eighth in the East uh, Eastern Conference overall, and it was just an experiment that tried that failed. He he turned you know he's 71 years old, and maybe his career is done as that, or maybe he has one more flirtation with the college game. We'll see where he wants to be at that point. I'm totally fascinated by it. I didn't expect it to uh, to happen like this. Michigan's got an interesting coaching search on its hands, but good on Beeline. He's more than earned the the, the shot at this. He's getting a, a wonderful payday, and yes, the uh, the draft lottery will will yield some very interesting results in terms of how uh, effective he can be in certain how much attention will be paid to him in his first season, depending on if they get num- that number one overall spot or not. I, I could I agree completely that there's a high percentage chance that this doesn't work out, but it's not because I don't believe in John Beeline. It's because most of these things don't work out. I mean, the life expectancy of an NBA coach, uh, I need to look it up again, but I think it's somewhere between two and three years. Um, you are at the mercy of your roster, um, which means you are reliant on your front office and as it relates to the NBA draft lottery, luck. Um, I, I don't care how good of a coach you are. If you don't have a roster in that league, you cannot win. You know, Brad Stevens has lost a billion games in that league uh, when he first got the Celtics job. Uh, you know, we've seen Larry Brown in the same lifetime have the best team in the NBA and the worst team in the NBA. Like, you will never see that in college basketball. Like, John Calipari is never going to have the best team and the worst team. Mike Krzyzewski yeah. would never have the best team in the worst team. Tony Bennett would never have the best team and the worst team. But in the NBA, the same guy can have the best team and the worst team based on nothing more than the roster that's available to him. Rick Carlisle is a tremendous example of it. Like you ask uh, NBA fans, um, just casual fans to name the best coaches in the NBA. They'll almost always name Greg Popovich. They'll name Brad Stevens. These are big names. People know you ask NBA coaches, I found this to be true across the board. In everybody's top five is Rick Carlisle. Every, you, you know, I talked to uh, Brendan Haywood, who I work with at CBS Sports Network. Who's the best coach you ever played for? Rick Carlisle. Everybody has a high opinion of Rick Carlisle. When Rick Carlisle's got great personnel, he can win a world championship. When he doesn't, he's coaching a lottery team. I mean, it, it, and so uh, the, the idea that this won't work out is just rooted in Right, you know, Cleveland won 19 games this season. I, they can get lucky in the lottery and draft Zion, but still, you're just drafting a teenager. Like, teenagers do not turn your franchise around overnight. Even LeBron didn't do that for Cleveland once upon a time, not overnight. And so, you know, if if we look up in three years and Beeline's fired, it'll probably just be because he had a roster that was difficult to win with. I don't think it'll be a reflection um, on him. As for the roster turnover, you know, he doesn't recruit pros there. Uh, he, he has, or at least I, I should say it's rare. You know, John Calipari recruits pros. Mike Krzyzewski recruits pros. Um, Penny Hardaway is now recruiting pros. Um, at, at Michigan, John, you know, even Trey Burke, who became a National Player of the Year candidate, he was just, you know, a borderline top 100 prospect, if I remember correctly. Nick Stauskas. This was just a guy. Um, nobody thought Iggy Brasdakis was going to be as good as he was this year. Uh, Jordan Poole wasn't supposed to be a two-year player. I mean, on and on and on. I think you could reasonably say, because I remember doing a story on this a few years ago, that in terms of enrolling players and actually developing, developing them into pros, into NBA prospects, first-round picks, you, you, might be, you might find that nobody's been better at that. Um, than John Beeline. And it's both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because he doesn't have to enroll top five recruiting classes uh, to win at a high level. He can win at a high level without them. It's a curse in the sense that you're constantly losing guys you didn't expect to lose so early. And this year was going to be another example of that. You know, Michigan won 30 games, finished sixth at Ken Palm, and going to lose its top three scores, even though none of them are guaranteed first round draft picks. And listen, that is part of the sport, but Michigan went from, with those decisions, a team that could have reasonably, and I think would have been, preseason number one, if they returned everybody who had eligibility remaining, and instead they're like a borderline top 25 team, top 20 team, because they're losing three early entries to the NBA draft, none of whom, again, are first-round draft picks. So I think that um, was a source of frustration 
Like it's one thing when you enroll Zion Williamson and you lose Zion Williamson. That's supposed to happen. You're not supposed to lose Jordan Poole after two years or whatever. Um, and then the other thing is we did, you know, these federal trials, whatever you thought of them or not, they did do a f- fairly great job of showing just how prevalent cheating was. Everybody talking about it so casually, everybody trying to get involved in whatever way they could. I don't know that many of these programs are going to be, quote, brought down like it was predicted, uh, you know, when the FBI first, uh, you know, when this whole thing was first announced and arrests were made. But quite clearly, there were dozens and dozens of programs that were at least loosely tied to, you know, um, to conduct outside of the NCAA rulebook. And yet, as you know, two years ago, we asked more than 100 college coaches, is there a high major coach that you genuinely believe, you know, our runs his program, you know, inside the NCAA rulebook. And we gave coaches the option to just say no. Uh, but 26% of the coaches we asked said John Beeline. And that was 16% higher than the guy we had second, which I believe was Mike Bray at Notre Dame. And so you just contrast those two things, a sport that is undeniably dirty and a do-it-by-the-book recruiter trying to stay alive. He's obviously done a tremendous job of that, but it doesn't make it less difficult. And so you combine a desire to just coach basketball with a frustration of losing um, players early to the NBA draft, even when they're not first-round draft picks, with the frustration of, um, of God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having to compete – with coaches and programs who are clearly willing to do things I'm not willing to do. I think jumping to the NBA actually makes a lot of sense, whether this works or not. Okay. Michigan job versus Cleveland Cavaliers job. Like an NBA job is better than a college job in most instances. This one is uh, parish for, for the, from the perspective of John Beeline, uh, I would say the Michigan jobs better other than like remove like him checking off this list, NBA head coach. I did that in my life. That's on my resume. That's awesome. You are the Michigan job is, I think, it's an undebatably top twenty-five job. It's probably the third best job in the Big Ten. It's probably a top twenty job in college basketball. Um, just curious on that. Like for you, would you rather be the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers in their state now, or would you rather be the coach of the Michigan Wolverines? Well, I, I think I would probably rather be the coach at Michigan, if only because I would live and die with wins and losses, and it's much easier to win at Michigan, yes. even when I'm losing my top three scores, than it is to win with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Again, you could take Greg Popovich and put him in Cleveland next season. He ain't winning that many basketball games. I don't <laughs> care who wins the lottery. And so from a quality of life perspective in the sense that my life is my life's quality is rooted to wins and losses i'd rather be the coach at michigan but i think asking me that question is vastly different than asking john beeline that question because if you ask john beeline that question clearly his answer is yes based on what he did <laughs> i'd rather be the head coach of the cleveland cavaliers and then if you asked him to explain it i bet you he would touch on a lot of the things that I touched on a few minutes ago, but also say, what else can I do at Michigan? You know, like I, I've been to, I I know I could have won one more game in either 2013 or 2018. And man, it drives me crazy that I didn't, but you know how hard for me to hang around Michigan to try to win six games in the NCAA tournament. It's just hard to do, you know, almost nobody ever does it regardless of how great they are. And so rather than, keep reaching for that very unlikely thing when I've already accomplished everything else you can accomplish. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm interested in this new challenge and I'm interested in this new challenge for a couple, for, for a few different reasons. Um, a, it removes recruiting from the um, list of things I have to do, which I'm, uh, you know, I might throw myself a party because I don't have to go to peach jam this summer. Um, it also, um, you know, I'm, I'm not in this, situation where if I find these prospects, whether it's in Germany or in Detroit or anywhere else in the country, and even if they're not supposed to be pros, if I do a good enough job with them, it's going to cost me because I'm going to lose them earlier. So I'm not in that weird situation anymore. Um, I'm I'm not at a disadvantage because I'm, uh, from a 
talent perspective because I'm unwilling to do some of the things I know my colleagues quite clearly are willing to do. And, um, boy, I can go on vacation with my wife because NBA coaches, when the season is over, you can disappear. It doesn't matter. Like, you can really – like, it, the NBA regular season, let's say you're a, a coach that didn't make the playoffs. That was, what, a month ago? Whenever it was at that end, three weeks ago? You could have been on a three-week cruise around the world, and it really does not matter because lots of coaches aren't involved in the pre-draft uh, workout you know, stuff, which really hasn't even gotten going yet. You, you really don't need to do much until summer league. You, you can take months off and, and if you're an NBA coach. You know as well as I do, at the high major level, you can't take three days off. I mean, it is, it is season over. You have to re-recruit your roster. You have to uh, replace players that left you early or just players that left you for, you know, whatever reason, maybe because they exhausted eligibility. You've got, you know, booster club stuff around, around you know, booster stuff around the state in the offseason. You've got recruiting in the offseason. You've got to enroll kids early to get them acclimated to college life. You might be taking a preseason tour, which means you're going to start practice three weeks earlier. I just prefer like to breathe a little bit and wake up every day and know this. All I got to do today is coach my basketball team. I don't have to text a 17-year-old. Right. I don't have to spend 15 minutes on the phone with a grassroots coach. I don't have to uh, take a meeting with a runner um, who was trying to get involved in something I don't need to be involved in. All I got to do is figure out how to coach my basketball team. And I know from talking to Billy Donovan, from talking to Brad Stevens, from talking to basically everybody who doesn't love recruiting and has ultimately ended up in the NBA one or the other, they prefer the lifestyle way more than the lifestyle that is required for you to be a successful high major college head coach you're right now there are pros and cons to both because the nba season is also more of a grind it is a longer season and as you put it you know if you're not in the playoffs you get the you get that luxury but also in the nba one year you don't make the playoffs if you are not a veteran coach you are immediately on the hot seat so you're trading one for the other you're trading job security for the fact that you can actually breathe a little bit with with what your life is uh it's a fascinating dichotomy because there's a lot of college coaches that wouldn't want the nba lifestyle and obviously plenty of young talented coaches who get in great in the NBA lifestyle and they don't want to have anything to do with going back and getting involved in recruiting. A lot of times it comes down to how much guys can actually tolerate losing because it is inevitable at the NBA level you are just going to take the L's and take the L's and take the L's. You'll get your wins as well, but it is a fascinating dichotomy. Now Michigan is left in a very interesting spot here. Um, it's a really good program. It was irrelevant for a while before Beeline took it over. Uh, remember, it obviously had its glory days, steeped in some NCAA controversy and vacated wins and Final Fours and all that. And then there was just nothingness. I mean, the program did not make an NCAA tournament uh, from the 1998-99 season until the 2008-2009 season. And then it didn't even make back-to-back -back ones until Beeline actually uh, got there and able to do it. He did it all but two seasons of his, uh, of his time there. So for Michigan... Uh, it's going to be interesting. Paris, I, I, you know, I've, I've been wrapped up with some other stuff here, uh, so I haven't, uh, you know, taken too deep, deep of a dive here in terms of um, coaches that might apply uh, that could that could get this job. You've got sitting. The timing is weird, obviously. You've got sitting assistants. I, I just right, right, quick thoughts on this, and obviously I want yours. I wouldn't be stunned to the level I was stunned that Beeline took this job to begin with, but in Saudi Washington and Luke Yaklich, who are the two prominent, uh, most prominent assistants on that, DeAndre Haynes is another assistant there. Perhaps they'll all get interviews and all get a look. Um, when you've got your biggest rival a month later, two years ago, having to replace its coach and going and plucking Holtman from Butler, um, I don't think it's likely that Michigan will say, you know what, we're going to tag Washington, we're going to tag Yaklich, we're going to tag Haynes with an interim for a year. Uh, you're Michigan basketball. The timing isn't great, but you know what, right now, if you really want to peek behind the scenes, May is the second slowest month on the calendar to September. So this really is the opportunity that you could have. You just missed a live period. I get all that. You mentioned Billy Donovan. I know that his name is inevitably going to be tossed out there. I don't know what his situation was with Oklahoma City. I, I don't think it's impossible. I I'm not predicting Billy Donovan gets this job, though. It would be great. I mean, it'd be hell, be amazing for Michigan, great for college basketball. If you could trade John Beeline for Billy Donovan, hey, that's that's great all around. Um, 
don't know if you have any ideas on who might make for a good fit, who uh, who might be a, another name or two that get tossed out there. But if you're Michigan, you're a big program, you're going to make some calls. Um, and if you're a Michigan fan, you need to probably recalibrate your expectations just a little bit here. Consider how great John Beeline was for you. Accept the fact that barring something surprising, you're the, whoever you bring in is not going to be on the same level as John Beeline, who's a borderline Hall of Famer. Donovan really might be the only guy that would apply, I would think. Thoughts on uh, on where Michigan can turn to now in the state of the program as it's kind of left in a little bit of a lurch here in the middle of May? That's one of the points I made on CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ earlier today, which is that um, sometimes you lose a coach and you go, okay, well, maybe we can find somebody comparable to this guy. You, there, he doesn't exist, I don't think. Perhaps, I'll concede the point, Billy Donovan would fit the description. And maybe, given that Billy is going to be on the hot seat next year, it looks like he's going to get another year in Oklahoma City. But if next year um, is comparable to this year, that'll be it for him. And he might want to get out ahead of that, right? Um, so I guess you can make that phone call. But I'm with you. I'd be surprised if Billy Donovan's next head coach at Michigan. Because there, there's a bunch of jobs that could open in the next few years that might be better fits for him than Michigan. Plus, you know, Paul George comes back healthy. That's the other thing. People are really down on Billy, and I get it. But Paul George and Russell Westbrook have both, I think, had surgery since the season was over. They were both hurt. So maybe next year they're both healthy. And you see what happens in the NBA playoffs every year. It's like somebody benefits and goes to a place they weren't supposed to go because somebody on the other team was hurt or sick or something. Like Joel Embiid was Don't tell sick. that to the Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, like, uh, well, okay, so the Rockets didn't take advantage of, of KD being out. But um, maybe Portland will. Um, Joel sure. Embiid um, was sick throughout the Toronto series, or else maybe Toronto doesn't get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know. I'm just saying that there's always these little things that happen in the playoffs where – you go, oh, wow, now we're in a better position than we otherwise would be. Or it's, ah, we're not at full strength. This is going to be difficult. For Oklahoma City, and maybe they lose exactly the way they lost this year, no matter what. But Paul George and Russell Westbrook were both like not oh, anywhere close to 100%. And um, maybe you bring, you know, Billy you know, takes that same basic roster into next year's playoffs. Everybody's healthy, and, you know, maybe he's in a Western Conference Finals and then his job's secure. Whatever. Um, again, I doubt Billy Donovan is coaching Michigan. One name that got brought up pretty quickly, Nate Oates, and that's because, you know, he spent more than a decade, I believe, as a high school coach yes. in the state of Michigan, um, not far from, from Ann Arbor. And so that made a lot of sense on a surface level. Obviously, he just a few weeks ago took the Alabama job, and he pretty clearly today just sort of killed that. Like, I'm, we're settled in in Alabama. We're all good. And, you know, in other words, I'm not going to do a Texas – I mean, I'm not going to do a Chris Beard UNLV situation where <laughs> I take one job, this other job opens up, I'd rather have the other job, I bounce without ever coaching a game there. doesn't mean that – you know, keep in mind, Nate Oates also like, <laughs> agreed because signed a big extension with Buffalo just like a week or two before he took the uh, Alabama mm -hmm. job. So who knows? But he did publicly downplay the idea that he would uh, be the next Michigan coach earlier today. Uh, Mike DeCourcy put a list together, and the name that I liked on it, and if you'd have asked me this morning, I wouldn't have said this name, but once I saw the name, I was like, okay, I could get behind that. Bob McKillop, Davidson, because it is essentially doing what you did last time. You know, I, I'll be completely honest about this, I, and you could probably find it in a Google search. I don't, I didn't rip John Beeline to West to Michigan, but I certainly was skeptical that it would you work. You hated that hire. I remember that. Everyone, everyone was talking about that. Gary Paris thinks John Beeline won't work at Michigan. That was back in the day. Yeah. I don't, I, 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 uh, I, I remember being skeptical because <laughs> Detroit had a rep to be the head coach at Michigan. The idea was you got to recruit Detroit and Detroit had a reputation of being dirty. And John Beeline had a reputation of not. And like, how is that going to work? And obviously it worked brilliantly. Why? Because you just hired a great basketball coach and great basketball coaches. They can be bad fits sometimes, some places. Like Tubby Smith's, a, I think, a great basketball coach. At least he's had a great career, but it was such a terrible fit at Memphis. Boom, it was never going to work. But John Beeline, even if it was an unusual fit on a surface level, it worked. And maybe Bob McKillop could be that same thing. A guy who's got a reputation as somebody who does it the right way and who is a brilliant basketball mind particularly on the offensive end you take that guy 
put him in Ann Arbor, and he can pick up right uh, where John Bieland picked off. You buying that at all? Uh, you know what? That's a pretty creative suggestion by DeCourcy because you could, you could, I could see if if it if it actually happened, and I don't know if there's a one percent chance or if DeCourcy just might have uh, gotten a sniff of something he thinks is worth chasing there. Uh, McKillop loves and has long loved his situation at Davidson, uh, but maybe the same way Beeline was like, you know what? One shot. This time in my life, I'm gonna I'm just gonna take that NBA opportunity. I got it. If it actually, you know, if things progress to a point where McKillop might have a chance, might he might he think, you know what? This this institution, Michigan, is obviously significantly better, bigger than Davidson uh, in so many ways. But from an academic standpoint, they're about parallel. I mean, he fits the mold of uh, the you know the program and its ideals and the way that the schools are built and its athletic departments. Michigan's obviously much, much, much bigger than Davidson, but there's kind of an alignment there. Um, I think it actually might be able to work there. I kind of feel like there's a, there's a decent chance that. Whoever, whomever gets this gig, uh, be it four days, eight days, fifteen days from now, I'd be stunned if we don't have it by Memorial Day. Personally, um, it, it could be a good coach, but it might be someone that maybe wasn't initially flaring on a radar at the start. I don't know. Ward Manuel's got an interesting, um, an interesting challenge ahead because you're sitting there again as a as a as a, a top-level program, top-20 program in college basketball. I, I do think it's a top-20 job. And who are you going to get uh, that you think can sustain this and get the right kind of hire? Um, you know, I think a guy like McKillop would be fine, uh, more than fine. I think I, I would actually champion that hire. But, uh, but I think you're going to get a wide variety of candidates that are going to have an opportunity there. I'm sure it's been extremely interesting in Michigan's athletic department uh, in Ward Manuel's office and with this phone over the past, geez, we're talking going on 12 hours here. Uh, I would have to think that a few candidates have, uh, have, you know, have legitimately emerged in terms of informal intrigue and discussion. Um, I think you can immediately toss out uh, I think you can immediately toss about almost every single big name here. Um, I'm just scanning. I brought up Ken Palm GP. I'm just scanning the page. Maybe Rick Barnes wants to give it another <laughs> run here. But let, me, uh, let me run you through some of the names that Mike DeCourcy put out. Okay, throw them at me. Okay, you tell me which one. We've already talked Billy Donovan. That's who he's got on the list. He's got Bob McKillop. We've talked about him. Okay. He has Ed Cooley, Providence. Uh, okay, I, that, that's – I'll say no, but that's, I don't think that's a bad suggestion. Okay. Steve Peichel at Rutgers. No shot. Mark Schmidt, St. Bonaventure. <laughs> Very little shot. I cannot even see that. No, I, I don't see that whatsoever. Johnny Dawkins, UCF. That I could see. That would not surprise me. I, I could actually, I could, I could maybe see that. How do you feel about just promoting Luke, Luke Yaklich? You could try it. Uh, Yaklich is the, was the defensive coordinator uh, to use football parlance uh, since he was brought aboard in Michigan. It had never been as good defensively as it was under him. Um, it doesn't have any D1 head coaching experience. Uh, is was a was a sort of a kindred spirit with Beeline because they were both like they love the actual elements of actually teaching. And I actually think that'll be fascinating with Beeline at the NBA level because the things he that worked in college may not work at the NBA level with him. Um, I you know I don't think I don't think Michigan will go there, but I you know I, I put that as a ten to fifteen percent chance that an assistant gets promoted. Mike Hopkins, Washington. I don't think Mike would do it. Do you? That would surprise me. Mike even. I think UCLA is still a better job than Michigan, and Mike did not even advance down the road far enough with UCLA. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Kevin Willard, Seton Hall. Is my chronological order backward, GP, or did we not have Amaker go from Seton Hall to Michigan and fail? No, that's right. Okay. Not that that should preclude Kevin Willard from being a legitimate candidate, but that's immediately what popped into my mind there. Um, uh, eh. God, you don't like any of them. You don't. You just. But this is what I'm getting. Okay. And that's nothing – listen, it's uh, – DeCourcy, uh, you know, he's an institution there, Sporting News College basketball uh, writer. He knows what he's talking about there. I, but this is what I'm getting at. Like, some of those candidates were all right. Some of them I don't see happening whatsoever. Um, and I just feel like it's going to be tricky for Michigan here who it might be able to get. Um, it, it'll command a lot of interested parties, but I think 
Parrish, we'd agree that a lot of these, you know, the guys that you would consider like A-level names, I, I don't I don't see it unless you're really going to be able to, to pony up uh, a ton of money and make someone really uh, second-guess what they're going to do. But I, I'm not seeing I'm trying to I'm trying to pick out right now the biggest name, the biggest name that would potentially be viable. Um, maybe, geez, Parish. No, I mean it's not great. I like the, earlier today. People, some people were doing what some people always do, which is like call Jay Wright. Make him say no. <laughs> Yeah, so, <laughs> no, no, no. We don't have to go through that again. We don't no, have to go down there. Like the, Jay Wright's not taking. There was another one. Somebody said you got to call. And it was just another one. Like you're not. Can I throw? That. Can I throw out a sneaky one who I think would be a good candidate? Hmm. I think you'll agree with this too. If I'm Michigan, I'm at least putting a call forward. Think about what John Beeline did. First of all, I'm going to have you guess my candidate. Think about what John Beeline did. Okay. The state of Michigan's program before he got there. What he was right. able to do. Who might be worth a real interview in that capacity? Not that he could match what Beeline's done, but you know potentially there could be something there. And not and 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 similar now to what maybe what Beeline was then. Like considered like yeah, he's a good candidate, but by no means would he be like this blockbuster hire. Hmm. And you think it's somebody who would take it? I do think it's someone who would take it. Yes. Is the person you're thinking of Bruce Weber? It is not. <laughs> it's not. The person I'm thinking of is Scott Drew. Ah. Uh, hmm. Not bad, right? Not bad at all. Like, Scott's been one of the most consistent winners in college basketball. I think Scott Drew might be worth a call there. That's just, I, to me, I'm, I'm, GP, I'm scanning down um, the list here, and there's just not a ton that. I mean, maybe there's going to be a big name that, that really does have a real conversation behind the scenes. But you're not even getting, like, you're not getting Chris Mack to take a phone call. You're not getting Matt Painter, not that he even, even would do it in league. You're not getting Chris Beard. You're not getting Tony Bennett, Jay Wright. You know, none of these guys. It's a fascinating spot Michigan finds itself in. And it's not quite like what Ohio State was two years ago because even as, like, when that happened and it was it was surprising and we criticized actually what they did at the time and getting rid, rid of Thad the way they did. And, hey, maybe Thad Mott is a long shot higher. I don't even know. He just popped in my head. But, um the pool of potential candidates, like I remember thinking before Holtman got the job, like this actually might make a little bit of sense. His star is still rising. It's a it's a logical geographical jump. Might that be a good fit? There could be the fit out there, but I just think it's it's going to be a little bit of a trickier uh, spot here for Ward Manuel, Michigan, who, again, though, at least they, the timing on the calendar itself, it's never a great time to lose your coach, but this actually you do have a little bit of wiggle room and a little bit of time to breathe and try and figure things out. All right. What about my – go hire my man Rick Patino. Okay. <laughs> I, I know they won't do it, but it it is still crazy to me that Rick Patino is just like cannot coach in college. When uh, when some of the guys who are still coaching today are still coaching today. I know we got to move on, but my I will tag it with this. When we talked about this however long ago and I'm talking months and months ago, might have even been from preseason. Um I believe your opinion was that he was going to coach again in college. I was I was off that for a while. I, the 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 testimony and everything that came out in the trial, I've actually flipped on that. I do believe that Rick Pitino is going to coach in college basketball again. I would not have thought that was the case until about two weeks ago. But I so I think we're on the same page uh, now. Whereas that was definitely not the case for a good year, year and a half. Well, perhaps by the time we talk next week, uh, Michigan will have a basketball coach, and then we'll discuss whether they did a good job or not. Let's move on. Kentucky has added another high-level prospect. The Wildcats now have the number one recruiting class in America, according to 24-7 Sports. We'll get into that next, but first, check this out. Hello, college basketball fans, and yes, you crossover golf fans. Guess what? PGA Championship Week is here, and CBS Sports is giving you tons of ways to follow the action at the second major championship of the year. You can watch the tournament live stream on Saturday and Sunday on the CBS Sports mobile app and on CBSSports.com, totally 100% for free. You do not need a subscription for that. You don't even need a cable package to watch. And guess what? We don't stop there. We also have CBS Sports HQ, our streaming sports network that's on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We 
know you watched when Parrish and I were on all the time throughout college basketball season and will continue to be. But this week, all about the PGA Championship. In-depth highlights, news, analysis. Our experts will be on site. And if you're into the fantasy golf lineups and winning bets, guess what? We've got you completely covered there as well. You're going to love it. None of the fake yelling, fake debates, none of that stuff. Perfect network for fans who want their sports coverage without delving into all those weird, unnecessary off-field topics. And guess what? That's also free, too. So be sure to tune in. Check out how well Tiger's going to do. Might it be Brooks Kepka getting a second straight PGA Championship title? Will Ricky Fowler maybe win a first major? You can follow all the action on CBS Sports. Download that CBS Sports app on your phone, and you can watch CBS Sports HQ there or on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, or Apple TV to start watching today. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So since the last time we spoke, Johnny Juzang has committed to Kentucky. He's a 6'6 wing. He's ranked number 30 in the top 24-7. And that pushed Kentucky's recruiting class to number one in the country. And Evan Daniels, who is a lead recruiting analyst uh, for 24-7 Sports, now has Kentucky as the favorite to also land uh, five-star forward Jaden McDaniels, which would obviously um, only elevate its class to another level. I know it might not be um, a big deal to some that Kentucky's got the number one recruiting class in America right now, but it's the first time in four years that Kentucky's had the number one recruiting class. So, um, I guess two things. A, it's been a little bit of a while, and B, those who uh, reached the conclusion that John Calipari had slipped as a recruiter, um, well, they're not looking so smart right now. Yeah, that was always I we've we've listen, this is uh this is among our greatest hits and for those that accuse us of, of being UK haters, you can ch- check the tapes, check the receipts. We've uh we've always downplayed that and kind of mocked that commentary. I like that we've got a bounce back here from Kentucky in terms of getting back on top. Um it was getting a little bit of a one-sided series there between Shashevsky and Calipari and for him to get the number 1 class. Arizona had this distinction for I guess about nine ten days hey Sean Miller's doing just fine for himself but UK is certainly uh, uh back near the top of the list Jane McDaniels if that comes to be um I'm not saying he knew what he was going to do a year ago because I don't think that he did but uh, his brother played San Diego State and um for a couple of years and he'll go off to, to the NBA this year but Jane McDaniels said last year at the PGM that Kentucky was always his dream school but his recruitment was uh well not like it wasn't like totally shrouded in mystery but uh I think he and the family and those around him didn't really tip his hand too much I think he'll be a fun player to watch by the way if indeed he winds up going to Kentucky and if that's the case well then good on UK for having uh, a very strong class and a and one thing I will say about Cal, and this is why, for our jobs, at least in my purposes, it remains fun, is that um, I seldom feel like the guys that Cal is bringing in, the kinds of classes he's bringing in, while sometimes the pieces don't fit together and sometimes we find ourselves looking up near uh, near Christmas time and saying, like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this play as good as we thought? Or what's changed with uh, with Kentucky? The recruiting, the actual groups that he brings in on a year-by-year basis. Like, if you really look at the, the kind of guys that uh, comprise this 2019 class versus the ones that were in 2018, 17, 16, and so on, um, there's usually a lot of variety, different roles that need to be filled, and it's always, always interesting with Kentucky. Um, I do like Kentucky class on the whole without a doubt especially if you add a McDaniels I like it more than Dukes uh, Duke you know by the way loses out on Boogie Ellis we're going to get to him in just a minute here but um, but good things come in Calipari's way it has been uh, a fortuitous uh, you know turn of events here since uh, Kentucky you know went out and was uh, unceremoniously bumped out of the NCAA tournament but as is usually the case here April into May things are looking good and Cal I bottom, I bottom line it like this, GP, as I serve it back over to you. Um, if you find yourself in a recruiting battle 
and it gets into the April May period of a prospect's graduating year. Um, if you find yourself going up against Calipari, that is a battle, uh, unless maybe you're Mike Shashevsky, that you are going to lose way more often than you're going to win. And this is the latest evidence. Um, I agree with you. I like Kentucky's class better than I like Duke's class right now. And obviously that's going to get better um, if you add Jaden McDaniels to it. Um, I like Duke's uh, the guys they got coming back, though. I think Trey Jones is better than anybody Kentucky has coming back. The Duke brings back um, – they, they're going to have at, at in, inside Cameron Indoor – a decent balance of like some guys who have been on really good teams like this past season's team that earned the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament and then high level freshmen as well. So I've got Michigan state still number one in the top 25 and one, but even though I've got Kentucky's class uh, rated higher and I have a higher opinion of it uh, based on what Duke's bringing, I like what Duke's bringing back more than I like what Kentucky's bringing back. So I've got Duke number two and Kentucky number three. Would you have that in a different order? I don't think I would because I do like Trey Jones the best. I think he's got a great chance to be in an All-American first-team level next season. Um, but, now I I think I do agree with you uh, based on the strength of what Duke has coming back. But I do like I do like Kentucky's talent overall, particularly with McDaniels in there. Uh, but there's still something. <laughs> uh, we'll have a little bit of a coda here uh, on a discussion we had, I guess, about a month ago, Parrish. Um, there's, logically, it's hard to fight against what you're presenting in terms of Duke, Kentucky, top three. And I get how if you're not a fan of either of those programs, and we thank everyone that maintains their listenership of the, of the pod here in May, you are awesome, and you are the reason why we love doing this pod. Um, it can probably get frustrating to say, like, how many times are we going to dance this dance? How many times are we going to have to put Duke and Kentucky, one, two, three, some order, maybe four in the preseason when they get all these highly rated classes, and then you look up at the end of the season, they're not making the Final Four, even though, by the way, Cal's gone to more Final Four since he's got to Kentucky than another coach. That would be an argument against that. Or uh, or Duke, which obviously GP has noted uh, on a previous pod, I think during the tournament, that, yeah, Duke's won two titles uh, from, say, what was it, like 2004 to 2019? But those two titles he won were also the only times they made Final Fours there. So I get that, but when you look at the assembly of talent, the proven track records of the coaches, from a coaching perspective, not to mention the guys they're putting into the draft, it's hard to fight against that. Uh, and then that's why, you know, that's why we have the preseason polls. And then once we get into November and December and we see the results of these schedules, we can adjust teams as necessary. But it's 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 really hard for me to argue against you because, I, I believe me, I, I like the variety and I would love to place Kentucky and Duke outside the top five but as of right now uh, particularly as we're still waiting for draft decisions and just, just to see how these uh, these these rosters and then with transfers and stuff all cement together uh, you can't put them outside the top five I, I actually would think it would be it would be illogical to do so right now well Duke and Kentucky obviously have a lot of fans but they are also the two programs that I think have the most haters for lack of a better word. Like people do not, everybody has an opinion about Kentucky and Duke. You either like them or you hate them. And to the extent that people hate them, those people will tweet me every time I repost the top 25 and one. And it's like, Oh, well, it looks like Duke's going to be overrated again. And I'm like, what do you mean again? Duke was not overrated last season. Do you realize Duke was the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament? Duke was preseason number one. Actually, were they? I don't think they were. They were not. It was Kansas. <laughs> yeah, okay. So they weren't. Pre they Duke was actually underrated last year. <laughs> okay, we're going there. Okay. Because <laughs> they, they end up being the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. And I know they lost in the Elite Eight to Michigan. I, uh, Michigan State, I watched it. Um, but Duke was not overrated last year. Duke was supposed to be awesome, and Duke was awesome. Kentucky, not really overrated last year. They were supposed to be awesome. They struggled early, but they ended up, as a two seed in the NCAA tournament, they finished eighth at Ken Palm. Like, if you are a preseason top five team and you finish in the top ten at Ken Palm, like, I'm going to think that you were pretty accurately rated uh, in the preseason. And so um, I don't know where Duke's going to end up next season or Kentucky's going to end up next season. But if you are ranking basketball teams in May based on what they did last season, what they're returning from that team, and what they're adding to that team, I'm with you. I don't see how you could have a top five that doesn't have Duke and Kentucky both in it. We could debate where they belong, one, two, three, I guess four or five, but I don't know how you could pick five teams that on paper look like they're going to be better uh, than those two teams. So um, Kentucky's got the number one class in America, the school that now looks like it's going to have the number two class in America, if not eventually the number one class in America 
is the University of Memphis because in the past four days, they've added three high-level commitments. On Friday, they got a commitment from Lester Quinones. He's a 6'5 guard. He is ranked 48th in the top 24-7. Then they got on Saturday a commitment from Rajon Tucker. He's a 6'5 guard. She averaged more than 20 points per game last season, shot 41% from three-point range at Little Rock. Um, he was rated as the number two grad transfer available this offseason, according to ESPN. And then earlier on Monday, they got a commitment from Boogie Ellis, a 6'2 guard, number 32 in the top 24-7. He was previously signed with Duke, asked for a release last week, got that release, visited Memphis um, last Friday, Thursday or Friday, I believe, and uh, committed to the Tigers. And so now Memphis has the number four class in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. But Precious Achua, who is a 6'9 forward and ranked ninth in the country in the top 24-7, has announced tonight on Instagram that he will announce his college decision this weekend. And according to the crystal ball predictions at 24-7 Sports, um, he is likely to also announce a commitment to the University of Memphis. He is close with Lester Quinones, who committed to Memphis last Friday. And I can just tell you that the Memphis staff has for a while believed that they were going to be able to get this done. And I've got Memphis right now um, sixth in the top 25 and one. Penny Hardaway, if he adds Precious Achua, that'll be two five-star prospects, one of the best two grad transfers, four other four-star prospects, and he will have a roster next season that is completely turned over from the roster he inherited. He got the job a little more than a year ago and inherited a roster with zero top 100 prospects on it. He has rid himself either through eligibility, exhaustion, or transfer of every player Tubby Smith gave him, and now he's going to have top 100 prospects coming off of his bench. Building him up just to chop him down. This is going this parish local sports talk radio works in Memphis. This is exactly what's going to go down here. Memphis Memphis should be fun. If Memphis isn't fun, something's going way wrong because there are a lot of awesome dudes. Boogie Ellis, first of all, if you're a Memphis fan, um, thank thank Trey Jones because <laughs> if he goes pro, Boogie Ellis stays at Duke. He has said that is the reason why he decommitted from Duke. Trey Jones decided to come back. Boogie Ellis was not going to have the ball in his hands. We're not going to have as much playing time as he wanted. He's going to go to Memphis. I think Boogie Ellis is at least a two, if not a three-year player. We'll see. I love his game. Um, heck, I, you know, under Penny Hardaway, maybe we'll find out anything's possible. I do not see him as a one-and-done type of player. I think it's a really good long-term thing for the Memphis program that you could have a point guard that is a multi-year player but a potential pro talent that can stick around for a few years. But, damn, uh, the Memphis is going to enter next season um, – it's it's just going to have kind of the it, this past season was great. It was noisy. It was fun. It, a clear change. Like I, know, Paris can he could he could write an epoch about this. He could write an album about this uh, that would you know <laughs> go into the night because he has lived in the middle of it. What last year was was great. It is going to be. It has to be tenfold next season because of the amount of talent that's coming in. They they seem destined to be a preseason top ten team in every. Um, major mainstream ranking you could possibly see. And then with that comes a, a hell of a lot of expectation. I think plenty of slack still. But when you've got that much talent, I mean, you know, Penny is not passing her. No way, no how. And the locals will have a lot more uh, leniency with him for a lot of reasons. But, man, it, there's just no excuses. You got, Minimally, you got to make the tournament. And with that kind of roster, like you, sh you should be single-digit seed as well. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see what Memphis can do here, particularly if uh, if Precious hops aboard. We now have the announcement to the announcement, as Parrish says. So uh, by the time we do our next podcast, it could be even more loaded. I can't promise you how good the team will be, but I, uh, I can't tell you this because it's factual. If Memphis does get a commitment from Precious Achua, Memphis will be the only program in the country – that had two top 10 prospects from the class of 2019, according to the top 24-7. Um, Kentucky's close, but I think Tyrese Maxey is like 11. 
uh, in the top two four top twenty four seven. So technically, what I'm saying is true. If they get Precious Achua, they'll be the only program in the country with two top ten players from the class of 2019, according to the top twenty four seven. This is also true. If he gets and, and it's because they've already got a commitment from James Wiseman, obviously, yeah. who is a top two player in the country. If they get the commitment from Precious Achua this weekend, Memphis will be the only team next season with two projected top 10 picks in the 2020 NBA draft, according to Jonathan Gavoni's current mock draft at ESPN.com. Uh, and so, um, again, I can't tell you how the, good the team's going to be. We'll see. Um, Penny does not have a track record like um, Mike Krzyzewski or John Calipari of when they have rosters this talented, they're going to be good. Like they almost never significantly underachieve. They might be preseason number three and then finish 17, but they never fall apart. They never miss the NCAA tournament unless, of course, Nerlens Noel tears his ACL. Penny doesn't have that same track record, so you can't uh, you know, give him automatically the same benefit of the doubt. We will see. But uh, it'll be one of the five most talented rosters in America, if not the most talented roster in America. And I can't vouch for the um, accuracy of this, but I did see somebody tweet it earlier today. And I don't know if it's true, but I know it's, it's got to be close to true. That if Memphis adds Precious Achua, um, somebody tweeted that um, they talked to an odds maker in Las Vegas who said Memphis would then become the betting favorite. What? Is to win the 2020 national championship. I think that would probably be not true because Duke and Kentucky would be, you'd be more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. But the idea that Memphis would even be in that conversation, um, you know, a, a little more than a year after firing Tubby Smith is, is pretty remarkable. As you know, I was somebody who well before it was popular with Memphis fans was banging on the drum a year in advance of Tubby Smith being fired. I was saying you have to fire him and you have to hire Penny Hardaway because A, B, and C will happen. I knew he'd go be able to get James Wiseman, DJ Jeffries, the other Memphis kids. I knew he'd fill up the building. I know he. I knew he'd fix a lot of the problems that was plaguing that program. I did not think he would be able to do what he's doing. Um, even somebody like me who was screaming, this is what you got to do. I, I didn't think he'd go out and be able to beat Indiana for a kid not from Memphis, then, you know, the next day go out and beat Kansas for a kid who's not from Memphis. I mean, that's Penny Hardaway before ever coaching his second game as a Division One head coach beating two Blue Bloods for non-Memphis players. I mean, Lester Quinones last Friday became the first top 50 prospect from outside of Memphis to commit to Memphis since September 2012 when Karan Iverson did it. And so I, anybody who's telling you they expected him to succeed on the recruiting trail to this extent, they're just, they're just lying. Uh, everybody thought he could get Wiseman and Jeffries and the other Memphis kids. But going and getting Lester Quinones, Precious Achua, and Boogie Ellis, like that's, that's kind of nuts. That he's gotten that many guys in the back. I just like the fact that it is. It, it is. You know what? It's just. A, it's just a new flavor here. I mean, you know, you had Memphis kind of there, kind of not for a few years. Uh, just having a, a viable national threat, kind of stepping in, getting to that table with Cal and Shashevsky and and Sean Miller, um, who's still, you know, who's, who had a nice rebounding off season. If he's able to maintain his 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 status there, then, you know, we could have four uh, real national powerhouses. I like that. I, it's, it's gone way beyond uh, what anyone could have possibly expected, and it will make it fun. Good for that league, obviously good for that city, good for that program. Uh, but now, I mean, the hype heading into next season, we are just in May and we're already getting into this. It just by the time we get to November, it's going to be absurd. And, uh, yeah, he'll have he'll – have, I, actually, I would love to know from Penny, like, what he would, you know, in his truest thoughts here – as he's as he's ramping up, you know, six months from now, the last time he will have felt that kind of pressure as a human being, like was it, you know, his first season in the NBA or at some other point? Because there, make no mistake, like he'll have a, a whole city behind him. There's no doubt about it. But with that, well, you know, the betting line. You're th even if you're a top three favorite to win the national title in Vegas for Memphis year two, Penny, it's absurd. It's absurd. I'll tell you where it's going to get interesting off the court is that. Um, because this roster is so stacked, 
you know, if you told me they get Precious Achua and I get to make the starting lineup, my starting lineup is going to be Boogie Ellis, um, Lester Quinones, Rajon Tucker, Precious Achua, James Wiseman. And what that leaves him with is six Memphis area players coming off his bench. That can be tough. <laughs> Just trust me when I tell you, you got aunts and uncles and dads <laughs> and brothers um, all listening to Sports Talk Radio all day long, jumping on message boards, calling into radio shows. Um, that's where it's going to be complicated. I remember one thing John Calipari said um, when he was the Memphis coach. He would not recruit borderline Memphis kids, or almost never did. And when you'd ask him why, he'd say, I don't want Memphis kids on my bench. That's where you get into trouble. Being the head coach at Memphis with Memphis players on your bench – um, that becomes it just becomes complicated. And now Penny has created this thing where no matter how he, you know, what rotation he settles into, he's going to have prominent Memphis kids on his bench. And uh, I, I just bet you I'll be doing a radio show about that probably like middle of December. I can I can totally see that happening. And yes, you can. As we wrap here, you can also guarantee. I guarantee no coach would ever admit this publicly, obviously, but. Uh, assistants and staffs around the country are already scanning the Memphis roster, looking at guys that are going to be in the 7, 8, 9, and 10 spots and thinking, might we have a chance to actually get them when they inevitably transfer? They may or they may not, but that kind of thinking, it's already, the wheels are well in motion for that. Uh, roster balance and team chemistry, yes, you're right. That is a whole separate uh, set of problems and a headache that, you know what, Penny Hardaway is probably happy to deal with, but, uh, but that's going to be something on his plate as well. Yeah, as people say, it's a good problem to have, but it is a problem. I, I would not be surprised if they have a mid-year transfer and then two guys transfer after the season. There's just no way everybody on that roster who thinks they deserve to be playing is going to actually be playing the role that they want to uh, play. Like, there's just not enough minutes available. Um, the roster is now stacked, again, um, projecting as one of the most talented rosters in America. Let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to the homie Larnell. And remember, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us in May. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care.